Can we change the way we produce food to both meet the needs of humans whilst regenerating our soils and ecosystems? And can we do so in a way that improves the financial viability of farms? These questions are becoming increasingly urgent to answer, and we're here to investigate a promising technique called agroforestry in order to find out how it can help us with these challenges. We'll be interviewing farmers, scientists, and other experts to share with you their experiences, practical advice, and scientific research. Hello and welcome on the Regenerative Agroforestry Podcast. I'm your host, Dimitri, and today we had a fascinating conversation with Michael Weitz from Lignovis. Michael lives in Germany, where he's, he operates a company that specializes in the plantation, the management and consulting around fast-growing biomass crops. We're talking here about willows in short rotation coppicing, about poplars in short and medium term coppicing systems. And we had a fascinating conversation. This is something that we've been wanting to get onto the sh on the show for a while because there is a lot of synergy between these systems and other cropping systems to make solid agroforestry. And um, today we finally were able to get an expert on and to discuss the nuances, the details, the technicalities and the big picture around fast growing biomass crops. So here we are. I really hope you enjoy it and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot as I did today. It's a long interview of an hour and 55, but I'm sure you're going to get through to the end because especially the last part, we start looking at some really fascinating stuff. So enjoy and thanks a lot. Hello, Michael, and welcome on the podcast. Hello, Dimitri. Pleasure to be on your podcast. Yes, we've we've been trying to 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 get you on for a little while now, and to find the time that works for everybody. And we finally made it, and I'm really happy about that because we're going to be talking about a really really important topic today, something that we haven't discussed yet on the podcast. Um, and we think that you're going to be one of the perfect experts that's going to be able to 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 talk about this with us and talk about about these fast-growing biomass crops in the context of agroforestry. So um, before going any further, maybe you could tell us a bit about your story, how you got started in this space, and, and just to give us a bit of context about your your path until until now. Yes, of course. Thank you very much. Um, I have studied ecological agriculture at the University of Kassel in Witzenhausen, um, where I've had some exposure to agroforestry in the tropics. Um, but um, not in the context of European agroforestry or, or growing trees in, in Europe besides maybe fruit trees. Um, so professionally, I've been involved in planting trees since 2004, when I was in responsibility for developing biomass supply strategies for a large scale biorefinery um, company or like those individual projects which had a um, feedstock demand of roughly a million dry tons of biomass per year. So as there are no places in Europe where a million tons are waiting to be utilized, um, we started to focus on the large biomass potential of agricultural land. And um, yeah, as woody um, crops actually um, are like the most um, sustainable um, kind of biomass production on agricultural land and also woody feedstock is much easier to utilize for that biorefinery. It was high temperature gasification for synthetic biofuels. Um, so we concentrated on fast growing trees and in um, that context, the first 
20 hectare of willow and also miscanthus, it was three hectare of, of, of miscanthus as well, um, was established in 2005. And um, between 2008 and 2010, we have planted another 200 hectare of mainly poplar plantations with a small expert team at that time um, in different regions of Germany and Poland. And yeah, besides poplars, also willow, robinia, alder, eucalyptus, even eucalyptus, we found an expert in UK who provided some frost-tolerant eucalyptus plants um, and um, also native tree species such as hazelnut and bridge trees were tested. Okay, and, and after that you start, you, you set up your, your company Lignovis, right? Yes, yes. Um, Lignovis was actually founded in 2011 when I bought um, the biomass department from that biorefinery company which uh, broke apart during the financial crisis. And um, yeah, since then, Lignovis has planted more than 25 million trees on about 4,000 hectares of agricultural land in eight EU countries. Um, most of it was planted as plantations for energy wood production, uh, but also as feedstock for the wood processing industry. And one of the larger projects um, which Lignovis has executed so far was establishing poplar plantations for um, IKEA furniture boards um, in Slovakia. So IKEA had a large project where Lignovis was actually a contractor to establish and manage those um, poplar plantations in the first year. And um, yeah, right now Lignovis has a team of five experts and of course additional seasonal workers during planting material production season as well as during um, yeah, executing um, the projects. Um, most of the current projects are executed by the experts themselves and maybe we have one or two helpers um, um, but those larger projects when we were like on, on international projects like for IKEA also we had a large project in 2016, actually, that was the largest one for Lignovis so far. It was a Polish investment fund, which had um, lots of agricultural land and wanted to um, utilize this, this to um, convert it um, to tree plantations. And in, in that single year, we planted roughly 1000 hectares of poplar plantations in Poland across the country, more or less. And in those projects, of course, we have many more workers on the fields. So, yeah, um, we are operating uh, more than 40 hectares of nursery fields with 16 poplar varieties, having a capacity um, of producing several million seedlings per year and being able to execute those, those large projects. Um, and um, also Lignovis is developing and building different kind of planting machines for the specific planting concepts. So it's short rotation, medium rotation, um, like with different kind of um, cuttings or planting rods um, at different um, spacings. So for that, we have specific machines. Also for willow plantations, which are planted in a very high density, we have specific planting machines that are producing the willow cuttings right on the field. So we 
um, yeah, we use the willow rods actually, and yeah, that that the cuttings themselves are produced during the planting process with a very high speed. So it's possible to plant a hectare of willow plantations and with with a density of 13,000 um, cuttings in less than an hour um, if the machines are working well. So yeah, those those machines they're really working fast and efficient. So and that's also the only chance to um, execute those projects um yeah um efficient enough to to be economically viable for our clients but also for Lignovis um ourselves of course. Fantastic. I mean and, and I think this is really interesting and I'm sure we're gonna you're bringing up a lot of different details here yep. that uh, we we need to explore and that I think uh I'm are bringing at least for me a lot of curiosity. Um but maybe you can start by explaining to us you know, what are these fast growing biomass trees that we're talking about? Uh, why they're so exciting, why they're so interesting. Maybe just giving us a bit of an overview of, of what it is that we're going to be talking about in the next hour or so. Usually if you if you talk about fast growing biomass or like fast growing trees in agriculture in general, then it's um trees that are pioneer tree species that are able to coppice from the stumps, usually. So um Actually, when, when we started um, 15 years ago, it was mainly short rotation. Like in, in Sweden, there was a concept developed for willow um, for with, with planting machines, with the harvesting machines. There was corporations with, um, with, with uh, different companies and lots of money, I guess, was, was poured into it. Um, and they had roughly 20,000 hectares of willow plantations in Sweden at that time. And from there, I think it spread um, somehow um, over Europe. And part of those concepts were also used like for poplar plantations. And then, like at least we in Germany, we realized that poplar actually is um, more suitable for our conditions in Germany. Like um, we have better drought tolerance and also... Um, we have more flexibility also in in utilizing um, those um, poplar tree species also in the medium rotation. Like willow is usually growing more like a shrub and needs to be harvested every three or four years. And then it regrows vigorously, but needs more moisture than poplar. And um, yeah, so specifically during the past, I would say five years in Germany, like we didn't plant much willow anymore. I still believe that willow is an interesting biomass crop um, for certain um, conditions, but um, we we really realize that um, conditions are changing so fast that we are quite happy that with like the different poplar species we have available, also with drought tolerant varieties, um, there's um, there's still a good option. Like with um, with expanding like trees on agriculture, specifically also on marginal sites where um, yeah annual cropping is um, more and more difficult. And besides willow and poplar, of course, there are other options. But um, like one of the most promising tree species, which is which is robinia, um, like that's the nitrogen fixing um, like um, kind of trees. Um, it was um, 
it, or it's, it's not allowed anymore. <clears throat> it was restricted by law uh, to be planted in Germany because it's not a native tree. Um, and um, yeah, people or environmental, um, yeah, um, leg legislation is very often, um, yeah, more, more, um, yeah, how, how, how to frame that it's, it's more strict in terms of agriculture than maybe in terms of forestry because you're still allowed to plant it on forests, but not on agricultural land, not, not on agroforestry and, but also not on biomass plantations. So actually poplar is more or less the only fast growing tree species, which is really growing fast and giving, um, giving cash flow, um, yeah, after a few years already to to farmers, um, which is left. And so you, you mentioned that there is a short cycle, a medium cycle, and I expect also a long cycle. Could you just explain to us what's the difference between the three? Um, short cycle means usually you, you plant at a high density of something between 8,000 and 10,000 for poplar and 13,000 for willow. And then you go there with a field chipper and directly chip those trees every three or four years and those wood chips they can be used of course for energy um, usually they go to larger um, yeah, heating stations or heat and power plants and are burnt and um, of course they can also be used for um, like particle board production or mdf production something like that the medium rotation it's planted at a wider density, we recommend something between 1,500 and 3,000 trees per hectare. And um, those trees, we recommend an average of um, eight years to be harvested the first times under very good conditions. It can be even harvested after five or six years with groundwater access, but on very marginal sites, it can also be 10 years. So. And the, the, the long rotation that is for, um, yeah, veneer log production. That's actually traditional poplar, um, growing in France and Belgium and Spain in Hungary in Italy. That's, that's the traditional, um, poplar plantations used for higher value logs. Unfortunately, we don't have that kind of industries that would require those um, quality in Germany. So we are more concentrating on the short and medium cycle in Germany and also on the other projects we are doing because their Lignovis is actually um, yeah, adding some efficiency, I think, to the process that is not established, but like those long rotation is already established in those regions or in those countries where there is an industry. That's very interesting. It, uh, I find it a bit confusing that in Germany there isn't this um, this industry for the long term timber, like high value uh, log, um, because from poplar. Because when you look at what's happening currently in Spain and in France, the prices of this of these high value timber plantations of poplar are going through the roof. I mean, now in in uh, in Spain, for example, in Castilla Leon, which is the main product uh, region producing these things in Spain. Maybe in Europe, maybe in, in in Southern Europe or in Europe, I'm not sure about this. But they're they're selling now a cubic meter for between 150 to 200 when it's of a very high quality. 
uh, and it means that the, <laughs> the, the I've just been modeling it recently um, and uh, it means that the income is quite fantastic because it's obviously not a lot of work but a really and you've got to make sure that you're on a good site of course and that your the, the the log does become high quality very straight and well pruned and it does require a certain it's kind of like intensive forestry management but still compared to you know compared to managing a, a tree crop for fruit or whatever it's very low intensity and it produces a really high return uh, we're looking at about 16% IRR, um, which is really high. So I wonder why in Germany, where these trees grow really well, I would be, I'm a bit surprised that they haven't, that an industry hasn't developed around that. Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's, it's the opposite. Like if you talk to forestry people and also um, to, to the wood consuming industry, actually poplar is rather considered to be a weed. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a tree, like especially like um, yeah, people from forestry. They don't like poplar. They 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 try to 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 um, if they reestablish areas, they they even take it out. Like um, like if it if it flies naturally, um, they they cannot cope with it at the moment just because like it's um, it's too many areas that are deforested because of the drought and the um, the, the beetle that killed specifically spruce trees and in Germany on a very, very wide range. So I think like the industry will readapt somehow to, um, to, to also utilize, um, like poplar wood, but rather as a low quality, it's, it is already used as a low quality. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's not done yet, but it's not a focus. It's just a byproduct at the moment. And I don't know a single, um, plantation in Germany or a single um, project um, plantation where where poplar trees are pruned. So that's just not established. So I think yeah, you really need to cross the border at least to Netherlands and to Belgium and France to 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 see that um, happen. Yeah, it's 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 just not existing. We we have a million we have a million ton uh, a million hectare uh, sorry one hundred um, thousand hectares of poplars like on forest area but um, nobody is really using it and nobody is, is managing those areas professionally very interesting uh, it could be an opportunity for the future but if the industry doesn't develop itself farmers are not going to you know landowners are not going to start producing this because if there isn't a, a behind a whole a whole processing industry set up to be able to bring value to these poplars because what's usually done with these high value poplars in Spain is that they're 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 cut into very thin thin boards they just basically cut around the log and then they create um plywood with it and then they sell the plywood for quite a lot I, th I think it's something like a hen egg problem. Like the industry will not develop if there's not um, sufficient supply and farmers or, or plantation operators would say, why should I produce and put all the labor in it and, and that um, high quality if there's no offtake. But um, I, I, I think like with certain agroforestry concepts like that, that can be solved specifically if there's additional value um, created for um, improving the microclimate on farmland but because I think specifically this long rotation planted at a relatively wide spacing can um, be very attractive um, to, to be um, included into agroforestry 
concepts. But it's um, at the moment we are we, we think maybe that's also an organic process. We planned it as a um, medium rotation, and then we have after like several years, like six to eight years, we have the option to either thin it and start um, pruning. Maybe we will not have specifically the same quality, but um, maybe it's good enough. Even for veneer production, maybe the core that is left with the, those branch uh, um, um, knots in it, they, this will be thicker, but um, maybe that's, that's still acceptable. Um, and then the farmer can decide um, if um, it's either like veneer locks or, or at least saw locks that are produced um, with the remaining um, that are that are only thinned. And the other option is just to clear cut it and wait for the regrow and then again sell it to either energy or to um, the wood processing processing industry, like for particle board production and or, or OSB production. And I think like those um, products, they the demand will increase drastically, specifically if we consider that we need to to um, substitute um, so many products which are currently produced with a very very big co2 footprint and um, yeah th there will not be enough wood available to substitute all of it just coming from existing forests so i think it's a quite attractive business case in the future you need to take some risk at the beginning because those value is not created at the moment but I think um, in a time frame of five to 10 years, those markets will change and improve for um, being more economically attractive. And you, uh, I mean, there's lots of things that are being brought up and we'll, we'll get into them little by little. But the first thing that comes to mind is when we had talked before, uh, we had a really interesting conversation that we didn't record for about an hour on the phone. Uh, you had mentioned the idea of flexibility. And so what you're saying now, for example, is that we could be planting poplars and, well, maybe instead of, instead of me saying this, let me, could you explain to us a bit what you meant by, you know, we can have flexibility with the poplar. Let's zoom into the poplar and focus on this at the moment to have that a bit as our case study for this conversation and to help us be a bit more focused and guided. Um, and so you were saying like we can plant the poplars and then we can do many different things with it depending on the management. Um, and, and, and that was the idea of flexibility. So could you just explain to us a bit more what that means, how that works and, and why it's an interesting, you know, why it's interesting for, for a farmer or a landowner? Once you start with a with a spacing planted for medium rotation, then you have many options. If you plant it for short rotation, like with a density of eight to ten thousand, like you are set to the um, direct chipping, and that's very efficient. It's low harvesting costs, and um, it's easy to establish. Um, that's a that's a concept that's done since twenty years in Germany and on several thousand hectares. So there's not much improvement and not much flexibility with that. So concentrating on the medium rotation, um, spacing and planting layout, something 1,000 to 3,000 trees per hectare of tree area. If it's done as a plantation or as a agroforestry system, it actually doesn't much matter. Yeah, it can be um, um, the, sa the same concept behind. Then you either use it just to produce maximum amount of cash flow you clear cut it after 
a certain time when you think, well, that's the stumps are or at the the diameter at the stump will be something like 25 centimeters. Then you go there with forestry equipment, like with fellow bundler um, equipment and harvest as, as quick and as efficient as possible. Then they will completely regrow. You sell it either as small logs or as, or you chip it on site and sell it as wood chips. I think that is something that would be used to create a cash flow model and a business case for the moment, because there we have the numbers available there we can um yeah even in some cases um sign contracts with off takers specifically like with energy um markets and those actors like heat and power stations they sometimes are already or since many years they're they're interested but but they are willing to sign long-term agreements with farmers often they even finance um, the establishment of um, those those short rotation plantations to have those wood chips available in the area at a certain quality at a certain time and on their decision when it's harvested also um, but I think for the farmers, it's very interested also specifically if you look at agroforestry systems that they can optimize the ecological benefits and the microclimate benefits they get from the tree um, uh, alleys. So then they might decide or they, they might test themselves. Well, on that field, I will clear cut. On another field, I will selectively um, take out maybe two thirds of the trees and just do a thinning like in the forest or in a in a pine plantation um, in the US, for example, there it's done as well. Um, you thin it down to a certain amount of trees, which will be grown to produce saw logs or maybe even veneer logs. I think it will be rather saw logs in Germany. I think there will be markets developing much quicker for saw logs than for veneer logs, but maybe based on that um, tradition, which will be hopefully built up through the next 10 years, maybe also veneer log um, production will come to, to those countries. It's not only Germany, but to other countries as well, where, where it's not available so far. So it would be kind of in practice, it would be like you have 20 lines of poplars and you would cut nine of them, leave one. And then they cut the next line, leave one. And then you would, something like this, you mean, to, in order to leave the, tell me. And But no, what, what I'm talking about is within those um, poplar rows, you take maybe three out and leave one. So and it always depends. Maybe you take like two thirds out and leave um, one third growing. Um, that's what's actually happening in forestry, you know, and we, we just take that concept of selective thinning. We don't decide from the beginning which one will be left, you know, like when we plant it. Um, maybe that can also be a concept if you say, for example, with one farmer, we have planted it in a way that he said, well, okay, every fifth um, one, I will plant a longer rod, which is um, which I will prune. Um, he will. He, he's just eager to test it. 
but I think that will usually not be the concept. Usually it will be just planted and when it's thinned, then the 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 operator of the harvesting um filibuncher machine will just decide um which one is straight and nice and um growing better than the others and that one will not be harvested and the others other one will will be harvested of course they will regrow from the stumps again but um like the shade of the remaining trees and also the 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 um yeah more competition um like from having the photosynthesis from from the big tree will will help those remaining trees to be more competitive also for water and nutrients and and so just to to clarify um this is interesting for agroforestry because you are harvesting you're having a medium cycle harvest so you're cash flowing early whilst also maintaining trees in place they keep providing windbreak action microclimate action the impact they keep impacting the landscape biodiversity etc and they are harvested at a medium cycle that's a long-term cycle sorry so you're leaving a medium-term cycle you're having a medium-term and a long-term harvest and th this is why, right? This is why you're saying that this is interesting for agroforestry specifically. Yes, but I think it, it doesn't need to be that way. I mean, it's, um, we have to be careful. Um, like for farmers generally, it's it's such a um, big decision to plant trees, to start planting trees that even like those three, four year um, harvesting cycles are um, something um, they they really have to push themselves to do it. And if you now say, well, we have a concept now with a medium harvest and then the rest will be like growing for 25 years or something until you can sell Solox, that's already like a time horizon. A farmer usually is not um, placing business models on. So that would need to be, I think, not be on the on the responsibility of the farmer but maybe on a specialized investor company like doing those kind of agroforestry projects and concepts in cooperation with the farmer and involving the farmer also financially um, but actually having like all the specific work that needs to be done and decisions that um, be taken which variety is planted on which side and yeah, maybe it's the wrong one. Maybe we know like in 15 years that another varieties would have given 10% higher yields, whatever. But I think all of that um, is even with the poplar, which is probably the simplest, highest simplicity, like in, in planting trees in agriculture, even that is quite complex. And um, farmers are avoiding that kind of risks and long-term decisions. So um, for many farmers, it's, if if there is um like a biomass hidden power plant in the area and demanding wood chips and offering a cooperation with the farmer, then it's just easiest to 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 start a cooperation and say, okay, here like plant some ten or twenty meter wide tree alleys um on the field um and you you are dividing more or less a hundred hectares into like five or ten hectare blocks of annual cropping, and in between you have like one or two hectares of trees, and um, that can be harvested very efficiently, and it has a very very big effect already on the microclimate. So those effects even on from like 
three-year-old um, poplar trees. Like it's astonishing how like the, for example, the wind erosion is reduced and how the microclimate is improved. So like there's, for example, one reference um, agroforestry system which was planted by the um, University of Cottbus um, close to the Polish border in Brandenburg where they, where they have um, investigated also how the interaction will be to 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 the annual crops already and they they um, um, measured like a significant um, reduction of um, wind erosion actually they have no extreme winds anymore on that field which is completely changed from before and also they have measured um, a small increase in the um, in the production of the annual crop and besides that of course if you plant trees in an alley like you have that um, the, the 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 effect on the sites like where you have more photosynthesis and more more available like um, um, better growing conditions and you have um, in average you have a higher much higher um, growth rate per hectare of um, tree area and so altogether, like this is the, the term of land equivalent ratio, like which in, in France you're probably aware of, like they, they, they communicate something like between 120% to 160% of total productivity on, on the same hectare. And most of it relates to the, um, the, the productivity of the trees, which is increased. And some, some of it also, um, to the productivity of the annual crops, but um, yeah, it's maybe if you have some 10% of tree area, maybe like you can expect that you have more or less the same yield on the 90% of the annual crop area that you had before with the 100%. Okay, very interesting. And this and this system was a short rotation or a medium rotation uh, system? That was short rotation. Okay. And so my, my leading question is, if you're going to be maximizing biomass production, as opposed to having a bit more flexibility through, you know, through the medium rotation, as you suggested, if you're optimizing for biomass production, is it best to go for short rotation? Or do you get the same biomass production in a medium rotation only that it takes there's a larger um, let's say larger um, um, a frequency of harvest so you harvest less often yeah probably um, it might change from side to side but I would say in general it's the same like the poplar if you do it as as a poplar like for willow um, you definitely need to do it as short rotation but with poplar um, in the first two years or three years of course the dense plantation will have a much higher increment but um, later on like it, the poplar very much um, likes to grow longer than three years so it's um, it's the growth rate will accelerate and so I think the eight-year rotation is something that is that is very suitable actually for the poplar tree but you have to consider that the harvesting costs will be higher if you grow it in the medium rotation, just because you cannot directly chip it anymore. So you need to be there like with different kind of equipment. And um, 
yeah, then then it depends. Of course, you have also a higher wood quality. You have less bark and less fines, uh, less fine like those those fine branches and and depends where it's going. At the end, it depends where you're going to be selling it of your objectives. Um, that's very interesting. Um, my, you know, one of the things I really wanted to get into is is kind of the management requirements of these systems. Again, we're taking into account we, are, you know, a lot of the people listening to these podcasts have farms and they want to diversify with trees. Um, so they want to do agroforestry. So taking into account the context of a farmer that's is or or, or a company, a landowner um, that does not specialize in wood production, I'm you know, it's concerning often. That this, that this farmer that's specialized in grain production then needs to learn and to manage a, a, a tree crop, which requires new, new, uh, new knowledge. Um, it, requires, it can require new machinery. This is often the case with more higher intensity of, uh, or, or higher sensitivity crops, like, for example, planting walnuts in an alley cropping. And, you know, this is, of course, we're talking about a completely different type of crop now. It's tree crops. But could you bit introduce us to what are the management complexities, you know, and how easy it is for a farmer to take on a tree crop project? Actually, if you compare it to other types of agroforestry, it's extremely simple. If you compare it to annual crops, it's difficult for the farmer. And the farmer usually doesn't give the priority to those trees um, um, because he, he, he doesn't know in the beginning how important which uh, kind of management um, application will be so usually the trees are starting to grow then they are green and then there is some weeds and there's so much other stuff to do and um, then the weeds are too big and uh, the trees are already suffering and even if you try to eliminate the weeds um, at that moment you already put the trees under stress and even if it's poplars they will suffer and the, the growth rate will be much smaller um, also like in the in the months after so it's all about letting those trees growing without competition in the first growing season like we we i don't know how many times i've repeated myself and usually um in the first year it's not um it's not uh, like achieved um, on on those on those projects if the farmers themselves um, are managing them, but in the second year they already know how important it is because they realize themselves, and they also see that it, it might be the difference between like three year uh, like three meters growth um, from the small cutting for example or like three meter shoot from a planted rod and to 50 centimeters so 50 centimeter like the usually the poplars well they they will not completely die if they are not managed of course under drought conditions they will but if it's a normal year but they will all, only develop something like 50 centimeter long shoots and the leaves will be yellow and small and it's not as it could be and the farmers is realizing how much difference that is and he also knows that from his annual crops for example silage like corn like it's 
it's totally the same. If you have too many weeds on, on a field um, and there's too much competition, then your crop will give maybe 30% of the productivity than um, a well-managed crop. And with the poplar, it's the same, but the complexity itself is really low. It's only keep it free of weeds and then um, actually it's, uh, that, that, that's it. You, There's you no pests and diseases, for example, that need to be managed uh, attentively, no thinning, removal of trees. I mean, you know, the, no. I'm thinking horticulturally nearly, trying to compare no. it with with no. other types of production systems like walnuts, etc. Okay. If you if you plant if you plant cuttings, there's nothing to do but keep it free of competition. You can do it with um, herbicides. You can do it um, totally manual or mechanically. Um, but of course, that's that's not so easy. Like you need to have special equipment. You have either adapt the tools you have on the farm to achieve that, or you have to cooperate. For example, also Lignovis is operating lots of machines for plantation management and sometimes we rent it out to farmers and sometimes we also do the management um, in larger projects um, as a contract. And um, yeah, that's that's um, very, very important. And if you plant larger rots, like usually if we plant, the, like the smaller the agroforestry systems tree area is the rather we would recommend planting not cuttings but um, at least medium-sized rods that are planted 60 centimeters deep and then maybe 30 centimeters are left like out of the soil or um, plant one meter 50 to one meter 80 long rods which are also planted 60 centimeters deep and then like something like one meter is um like out of the soil and like that's um that kind of rods uh, are more competitive like in terms of weeds but also if there's like browsing by deer you know if um if it's only a small cutting like with 20 30 centimeters and the the deers are eating the fresh shoots, there's not much energy left in the cutting. It will regrow, but it will be really small. And then the weeds are much faster and you have a catastrophic result on the plantation. If you have a big field, you know, like 10 hectares or five hectares with a planting density of 10,000, then it's not so many deers um, that can eat all of it, you know. And so it will be a little bit here and a little bit there, but the total plantation will be okay. But if you only have an agroforestry system with like one hectare of tree area and you, you want to do the medium rotation, actually you need to plant those rods um, if you don't put a fence around it. That's the other option you have. But usually we try to avoid that because it's much more affordable to plant those rods and maybe talk to the hunter you have on site. Sometimes farmers are hunting themselves, but often it's other people. And um, convince them to to take a look at it like in the first six weeks or something after planting it's most important or when they start to grow very interesting you brought up a um something that i really wanted to get into and that we we often see having a big impact on the ultimate um, um, economic viability of the project it's scale you know and and so 
of course, as you mentioned that there's technicalities around, you know, differences in the way that we're going to be implementing and managing between a small scale and a large scale project. But there's a question before that, which is, you know, what is the minimum scale for this to be economically viable, taking into account that we're selling, let's say, a medium density poplar plant, um, uh, yeah, sorry, a medium cycle, den- um, medium cycle poplar plantation that we're going to be selling for energy or for uh, the production of light um, um, constructed woods, uh, or not woods, but materials, woody materials. I don't know what the name of those are. I've, I've forgotten now. Uh, the one that IKEA was using in your project, um, for example. Um, anyways, um, you know, what's, is there a minimum size for it to be valuable for us to be able to bring in a person to harvest under a certain size? Maybe the harvester will say, no, I'm not going to come just for five hectares with my machine, for example. So, you know, what's the situation on, on scale? Often in agroforest systems, of course, the scale is much smaller than, than, than a full plantation. So it's, it's a big topic in agroforestry, this one. Actually, that's one of the reasons why we recommend medium rotation for those agroforestry systems, because usually it's not profitability of wood production that is in the focus, but it's rather those um, microclimate benefits. And um, also animal welfare is actually the main reason for most of the agroforestry projects we have planted um, throughout the past few years on free range chicken areas. So like chicken are forest birds and those farmers, they just want to have a, yeah, um, a, a good, um, yeah, or at least a decent environment for the chicken um, where they, which is similar to a natural habitat. And um, so the profitability of the wood production itself, it's absolutely not in the focus. So they, some some farmers even say, well, I don't know um, how will it be harvested, and um, okay, I have to organize that, but it's um, rather a burden sometimes. Um, specifically during the past years, where we had very low wood prices um, in Germany because of all the um, pine beetle killed trees and the the drought problem so there was excess wood from the forests um, on the market and like farmers didn't feel like planting trees for for producing wood so that that was the recent years it completely changed now we have attractive prices for wood chips for energy use and like if you consider the high price of natural gas at the moment like it's per energy unit um, like wood chips can be produced at a tenth of the current gross market price of natural gas in Germany or in Europe. Wow, so very interesting. That's that's uh, that, I think that will be a huge market in the future, but it also takes a little bit time to develop um, because yeah, I mean you cannot just um, like uh, sell sell large amounts of wood right away. You have to plant the trees uh, before and at least you have to wait like three, four years until the first harvest. That's a minimum for the medium rotation. It's longer. So like those th- those um, energy projects, they are also hesitant to, to start into those complex market and cooperating with farmers. I think that will take some time to develop when the dust has settled and people realizing it's not only like CO2, it's not only climate, but it's also um, security of supply that is very important. And that's an, an another argument which will be 
maybe even more relevant than CO2 for creating those business models. Mm, very but everything is just right now pointing in the direction that it will be a good, um, a good business in planting trees and selling wood in the, in the near or midterm future. But sorry, I think I lost your question. No, no, but you, you, you brought up a very interesting topic. Uh, yeah, we, we diverted a bit, but it was, it was fascinating to understand that bigger economic context. So, so in, in, it, was, it was profitability and the minimum size. Exactly. Um, for, I think for short rotation, um, which is interesting for alley crop, cropping systems, like for civil arable system, where you combine um, trees with annual like crops on, on cropland. So um, I think the minimum size should be something like five hectares of tree area. Okay. Um, when like the, when the off taker and also some other short rotation plantations are not too far away. If you are in the mm -hmm. middle of whatever, no other um, farmer is growing short rotation plantations there. And there is not, like harvesting contractors available, then it might be even bigger. So, but like I'm talking now about like the northeastern part of Germany, like that's where we are mostly active, but also northwestern part of Germany, like there are some contractors um, like available. So, um, but below five hectares of tree area, it's difficult for the short rotation um, plantations because you have um, to order a specific field chipper with a specific like cutting head. Um, and also usually the chipper in the field chipper is modified um, a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's quite expensive to, to have it um, coming to your farm. And then it just started and then it's already finished again. So it really depends on the wood price. If you have an attractive wood price, then it's okay. But um, if the wood price is rather low, then it's not profitable to do that below a certain tree area. So you take the minimum is five, but 50 is better <laughs> in a way. Yeah, but that, that's really for the short rotation. And well, sometimes we, we have very small farms that say, well, we don't want to, to, to sell it for energy. Um, we don't want to chip it like um, with a field chipper. We do that ourselves and we use it as ramial field wood to improve our soil. So you can do that on half an hectare. And they have, I don't know, a few intern uh, ships like um, looking for work and then you can harvest it manually with a chainsaw and then you have a small chipper and you chip it and then you use it on your compost to just spread it on your soil and um, it, it, that's very much depending um, actually what is what is your focus but if you're like, let's say a 300 hectare farm and um, you're looking into agroforestry and say, well, it would be good to improve the microclimate. So what is the easiest thing to do? Okay, I will start with um, like two hectares of tree lines and do that as short rotation. And I would say, no, that you should do that as medium rotation because um, the harvesting costs might be higher per ton in a scaled efficient system. But having those small scale, you always find something like, you know, with a with a shear, like on the excavator, with a shear, something like 
that is that is available in in your area that is harvesting those those trees and then maybe the harvesting costs would not be like harvesting means um, cutting forwarding chipping or cutting and piling them up on the field and go with the chipper on the field and ship it there but probably for the medium rotation um, it would be somewhere around 70 euros per ton of dry matter like those kind of until you have the chipped and maybe transported um, to, to, to your storage or something not to the client but um, like where you can store it the wood chips um, so something maybe like 70 euros and with the um, With the direct shipping, with the field shipper, um, you have harvesting costs maybe something like 40 euros per ton of dry matter. So, so, but, but if you apply the, the field shipper on only two hectares and you have a thousand or two thousand euros, um, you have to pay to, for, for the contractor to even arrive, then, um, your economics might would look much more unfavorable so you, you run into to 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 totally other um, economics so you you're, you're favoring the medium cycle mostly because of the access to harvesting or let's say that the, the, the yeah the access or the wider range of harvesting machinery possible to use that's your main if you're if we're talking about a smaller scale alley cropping system you're favoring medium cycle as compared to short cycle mainly for that reason or are there other reasons as well because you've brought it up quite a few times this and i wanted to inquire a bit more uh you know what is the you know to clarify a bit the arguments of for and against um, um, medium cycle vs short cycle in an alley cropping context? Of course, there are more arguments. You have a better quality of wood. You have more options. What we discussed before, you can you can um, selectively uh, take out trees and uh, you have more options to, to, to grow solox if you want. Um, and probably in the future you can also sell into um, other markets where it's not wood chips but it's like small logs where they produce for example osb boards and probably pay you a higher price per, per ton for that and um, the other thing of course is that if you have a longer rotation cycle you have more ecological benefits like improving the microclimate and reducing erosion for example with a lower um, tree area involved. So if you're a farmer, usually if it's on a on a good field or like decent soil, you're you're a little bit worrying, like giving away too much too much um, of the field to the trees, and um, maybe only planting a double row or even a single row. And um, like if you do that with like those, that short rotation, like you, you need a big farm actually to 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 get something like 10 hectare tree area and the next thing of course is also like like if it's only a single row then like a few deer will just eat it completely and so you actually cannot plant a single row with cuttings for short rotation if you plant like a short rotation plantation with those rods then it's too expensive of course you can do that we've done that before um but um it doesn't make sense actually so it's because the investment will be too high and then it's not the harvesting costs only that is um, resulting in, in a business case, but of course also the establishment cost. Like the harvesting cost is most important because it's 
on every turn it's more or less the same and the planting cost it's only once in the beginning and then you can harvest several times very interesting that makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense we're bringing together a bit everything that we said uh, yeah. uh earlier on uh, and, and and putting it uh into into one bag right now that's that's great for me there's the next thing that you something else that you had brought up um, earlier on is concerning the marginal land vs productive land and again you're talking about it now and you said that we've got you know on, on marginal sites we can have a medium rotation that can go up to 10 years as compared to if you've got access to groundwater we'll, we'd be around five to six years um, um, and so my question is is it still worth planting in Germany of course because this is very you know marginal in in Portugal it means a different thing than marginal in Germany probably um, relating to popular productivity. So, you know, in Germany, in your context, is it still worth planting on marginal land poplar trees? Taking into account that, you know, they're, they're going to need f a, a certain amount of water. It's likely to be more than an annual crop, for example, like winter wheat, you know, due to the fact that we've got, you know, different cycles. One's in the winter, the other's in the, is needing water in the summer. So, you know, are people actually planting and viably um, um, in marginal sites and what's required for it to work well on a marginal site? Is it only for short rotation? Is it only for a, a certain amount of scale? What, where, do we, where do we stand there? Yeah, that's a complex question. But I mean, it, it always depends what, what are your alternatives on, on that um, kind of marginal land. Very often the alternative is to do nothing. You know, like to set it aside and only get the EU um, money and do nothing because you're not sure if you're like preparing the soil, if you're sowing, if you're fertilizing and and putting the putting the chemicals or whatever on it, um, if you harvest like anything or if you get at least your money back. And like right now we have certainly some farmers that realizing on that kind of sites on that kind of soils it's um they rather treat it like for they, they try to go maybe in an environmental program to 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 get some more money from the government but they cannot continue to use it um with the annual crops in a productive way and of course on those sites trees like poplar trees will not grow as fast as um, on, on other sites. But if you consider that like th that land is more or less available for free because the farmer, I mean, th those EU premium payments, they will receive it anyway. And then you can decide, well, does it, does it cover the planting and the harvesting costs? And is there some, something left usually? And as it's a perennial crop, Usually, it will not be totally destroyed. It will not be like, it will not just die in the drought, but it will drop its leaves and stop accumulating biomass. But um, in the next year, it will start growing again. And maybe your harvesting cycle will not be four years or three years, what you expected. Maybe it will be five or six years. Um, it's, it's very hard to, to say that from the beginning. But I was astonished, like like in 2018, we had an extremely dry year, at least in Germany, I think also in other European countries. And I was very much worried um, 
because of like one of our largest projects was Vattenfall, like in, in eastern part of Germany, like around Berlin, the state of Brandenburg. And in Western Poland, they have planted some 2,000 hectares to supply a heat and power station in Berlin um, with 50% of short rotation wood chips. And I was very worried, um, like if in that year, because it was not raining at all, more or less, and it was extremely hot, that some of the plantations at least will just die because it was planted on marginal sites. Usually they had contracts with farmers. Um, and if you go to those farms and you ask them for providing some land, they will not give you average land, but they will yeah, say, well, um, of course, they try to get as much money as possible, um, but they will try to get rid of the very marginal sites where they had problems before with the undercrop annual crops. And I think that's okay, of course, that's that what makes sense. And if those poplars are growing on those sites, then like they are, they are really suitable for marginal sites. And like the result, when I asked um, them, how did they develop like in the, the year 2018? It was, well, of course we had, um, we had not much um, increment, like the yield or the growth was much lower than in an average year, but actually we had no sites which completely died. So, and that, I think this year it will be about the same. Of course, um, the profit, profitability will suffer, um, but given that also the annual crops um, having big problems under those conditions and it, un uncertainties, then I think um, the perennial trees in a short rotation, they are actually the best option. You still have to keep those sites productive at a low productivity, but at least they're capturing CO2, they're producing a raw material, which is either um, be used as feedstock for energy or as feedstock for um, the wood processing in industry. And that's actually what we need. Actually, we, we, we need to keep those areas productive and um, at the same time also improve the, the ecological benefits from those sites. And I think um, even if it's poplar trees, even if they are clones, even if they are genetically the same, like because um, it's clones, you know, you 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 produce it um, like not through seeds, but through cuttings from um, the mother um, the tree, more or less. Like uh, so, they are genetically identical. Like they are giving much more diversity, even in a plantation, compared to traditional farming. And on those marginal sites, it's it's working so far. I'm, I'm really happy to say that many people thinking poplars, well, that's for set wet sites and they will not grow on dry sites, but we are having them on the driest sites and marginal, most marginal sites in Germany and they're performing decently. They are not delivering, delivering the, the yield, um, which, which is possible on, on, um, medium soil qualities, but at least they are not dying and producing some biomass. 
That's very, very interesting. And, you know, it seems like Robinia, if you were allowed to plant it, would perform even better in these dry sites, right? Because Robinia has a higher capacity to a higher drought tolerant capacity. Is that, am I correct in saying this? I, I would assume that it's the case on, in the very extreme conditions like we had in 2018 and like this year. Um, we actually, we, we stopped um, planting Robinia in 2010, I think, or no, like we had some very small fields, which we've planted even afterwards, because we didn't see a yield difference between um, Robinia and Poplar on the marginal sites under like normal conditions. Um, like an average, like when we harvest it. And Rubinia also has um, the disadvantages that it's more costly to establish. And you have like thorns on it, like it's um, nasty to, um, to, to, to be in that kind of plantation. And the next thing is that new sprouts are coming out of the roots um, once you harvest it. And so it's, um, it's difficult to keep it like in the row. And um, that might be a problem to to puncture your tires, for example. Like if if you have have some some shoots that like with the second harvest maybe they're they're cut, but with the third harvest they are they're destroying your tire or whatever. And so farmers are rather um, yeah hard to convince also to to plant a robinia. I think robinia would be rather suitable for. Um, if you if you have higher higher value creation from the trees you're planting, for example, if you use it as as um, fence posts or something, or if you're for like playground um, structures, something like that, where robinia, or maybe also for furniture, garden furniture, something like that, like it's such a robust um, wood and um, yeah, you don't need to use tropical tree species, but you could use Robinia as well. That's interesting. But it's it's very interesting to hear that poplar is performing very well, even on these marginal sites, these very dry sites. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there's 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 also something. There's a whole conversation, and I'm I'm sure that you've had this kind of critique brought up to you as to should we be converting high value land to wood biomass production. Instead of mm -hmm. it being, uh, I see you smile a bit there. Instead of it being yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, for, uh, a use for food production, uh, I'm very curious. Uh, firstly, the fact that there is marginal land that can also be used for popular plant, uh, plantations and etc. Yet at a lower productivity, okay, but that's that's also very interesting, um, and that would also enable to kind of release a bit of pressure uh, potentially from high productivity land. But assuming we're in high productivity land, what would you say to somebody that says this, you know, should we really be producing woody crops here instead of producing wheat, legumes, things that feed animals and humans? What would be, what do you usually reply to that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very important to discuss this. And I, I think it, it really depends if you, if you consider um, like wood to like to, to to be not as um as as important to have it um like to 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 service the needs of civilization as as food and i would consider it maybe um on a similar level as um the other option of not um using wood would be like to 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 use more 
usually is to use more like fossil fuels feedstock and actually that's that's no alternative at all so um i would say like we need to optimize those systems and make them as productive as possible and not discuss either or because we need to do to do both like if there is an option to to have a relatively higher productivity on marginal land with the with the trees and you or we as a civilization or as a as a society um produce enough wood as we need on those sites okay then it's fine of course then we don't need those highly productive sites but if there are options that we um even increase the productivity on the highly productive land including trees um as agroforestry systems as you so had suggested it, earlier on with a higher land equivalent ratio of uh, between 120 exactly. and 160% yeah yeah then 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 it's absolutely part of the picture yeah and um every project probably would look somehow differently but um in general i wouldn't exclude um trees from highly productive land in the beginning like specifically also as we know that um the ecological benefits that we also need on the on on the productive land are so easily achieved by only a very small ratio of the land that is used for trees and it's not the trees themselves mainly that um like have those ecological benefits for biodiversity but it's also like even if it's only three meters of soil that is undisturbed underneath the trees then like it's a complete range of um like flora fauna different species that are developing underneath and actually using those trees or dub tree double rows like as a protect protection um physical protection more or less and also like giving some moisture giving some shade giving some like mixed um habitat um functionality which is so important for um for the high biodiversity and i think that's much better like if you in, in include some biodiversity aspects to 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 highly productive land but probably is general assumption that we need to do that then it's then it's even advantages to include productive trees on that area i think that's maybe how to um how to puzzle it together it seems that the conversation changes a lot if we're looking at agroforestry as compared to say, okay, I'm going to take this high productivity land and I'm going to uh, plant a, a monoculture of poplars, which, which, which could be, I'm not judging it, I'm just saying like that's the conversation there between um, a monocrop of, of, for example, winter wheat or you know, focus on annual grains and a focus on perennial uh, biomass. That's one conversation. But if you start talking about mixing, the various ecological benefits that come out of this, the ecosystem services that go beyond biodiversity that also talk about cleaner water, you know, and, 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 and soil water purification, re re removing nitrates from the soil, for example, which we know in high intensity land is a lot of also like highly, highly valuable, highly productive land is highly intensified.
And so there's a lot of fertilizer use because it responds well to fertilizer. So, you know, and so there's a lot of leaching and there's da, 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 da. So anyways, the, the, we, um, we've talked a lot about this and um, uh, in other episodes, etc. And people are kind of familiar with these with these concepts. Um, so it changes, you know. Yeah, maybe one more um, um, argument would be that usually like tree um, biomass, whatever is, is not like... Um, like densified as grain so it's not so easy to transport it over a wider distance so like if you if you have demand for if it's energy if it's whatever and wood chips are part of the solution so if there is consumption like in that area which is just as existing or will be existing in the future then i would assume if you put a on it like a full life cycle analysis it would be like um, reasonable and really makes lots of sense to to produce that wood and use it as as a raw material in that process instead of like producing grain which can be produced in areas far away like very efficiently as well and transport costs are relatively low instead of transporting maybe wood chips from the Baltic states from Canada, from, I don't know, uh, or densify it before produce pellets from it. I mean, grain, it's a pellet already, <laughs> like it has the same density as a wood pellet. So, and if you're in your process, it doesn't need to be a wood pellet, but it can be a wood chip. Um, then you can save that money and you save that energy and all the effort to, to densify wood chips. And you just, um, yeah, have a local cycle. So I think that's that's adding some complexity into the discussion, but it, it shows it's not so easy that you can say like productive land is for food production and, and marginal sites are for biomass. I think we need to do both and probably we also need to change our habits a bit that um, we don't throw away, I don't know, 20 or 30 percent of the food. Um, it's actually not, not consumed, but it's um, somewhere in the the production chain or at least uh, like in the supermarket or in the restaurant or in the household it's just thrown away like i mean if if we have that reality for me it's a little bit hard to 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 discuss if if we can grow trees there because like i think the biggest problem we have, to have at the moment is climate change and trees are so important it's actually the only viable option we have at the moment to capture the CO2 to to draw it down like besides of course soil organic matter and, and things like that but it's all related to to natural systems to to um to existing um land use practices um which we need to change and I think trees are almost almost ever a part of it and like poplars um are growing fastest so like they are um capturing um carbon like at, at the same rate as they are they are producing wood so it's one ton dry matter of wood captures 1.8 um tons of co2 so that's um that's a fact and it's um more or less the same for for every kind of tree and like we kind of run out of time and um we have to start somewhere and also Maybe that's maybe yeah some some thing we can go a little bit deeper that it's not doing an agroforestry system with poplars 
and it will stay popular forever. But those agroforestry systems also can start with poplar and then additional tree species can be included or um, the agroforestry system will adapt to to a wider variety and more complexity in the future. Like it, it's a nature, like the first thing is the pioneer tree species, they fly in, they um, prepare the site, they improve the microclimate and then the more valuable tree species, they will come later on. And maybe that's also an idea for agroforestry system then that we can, yeah, in the beginning maybe use the simple um, options or the simple um, business models we have from the plantations like in Germany it's poplars in Sweden it's willows and Portugal it's maybe eucalyptus and um, bring those um, on the agricultural sites and I think every tree that is planted is better than no tree and even if we only achieve 80% of biodiversity or even if it's only 50% it's achieved and usually for the farmer it's not a decision if they will plant something easy like poplars or if they will plant a complex agroforestry system on a 20 hectare site. But it's if you will some, do something easy or the farmers will not do anything at all. That's very interesting. And um, yeah, you're, you're bringing in the next, uh, you, you've discussed the next topic, which I wanted to talk with you is about diversification and and you know how that's another kind of easy critique that 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 comes about when we're thinking about you know oh, so you've we've had uh, we had wheat uh, we had sorry grains and now we're just adding uh, clones of poplar is that really helpful for biodiversity and and then there's the something that always comes up is about you know the reality of farmers it's like yes of course ecologically we would have everything be as it was uh, a while ago um, and we would have hyper-diversified systems, but the complexity of these systems, the costs of these systems, the economics of these systems do not convince farmers. And so the next best step that we can take, and this is something that we had talked about in our pre-call together, the next best step can be diversifying with a single crop, an economically viable crop, a crop where the farmer is learning how to manage trees, where the industry around that is developing as well. So we're having a tree industry develop, which, as you had suggested, will then open up other opportunities for other tree species for diversification and 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 then you know it's it's kind of the succession as we had said doesn't just start in the field uh, it also needs to take place in the industry in the supply chain in the processing uh, uh, facilities uh, and and in the in the market as well there needs to be an evolution and there needs to be a certain maturity that develops itself there uh, and so it's a, we need to go step by step because that one step forward, as you said really well, is actually uh, uh, we're going forward here. Uh, we're taking one step. It may be not big enough based on the challenges we have, but it's the first step and that's going to lead to the next step. Uh, it's, it's about a sudden being a bit practical there, uh, which is something that I find farmers really, um, you know, a value that farmers carry a lot. Um, yes. So. And, and it's also, I mean, talking about business models, even with the popular um, agroforestry system it's at the moment like at the last year prices I don't know about the prices we have at the moment for wood chips is it only a short term if it will it remain the same like we need to be a little bit careful like talking farmers into something but to be honest it's very hard to build a business model only on tree production at the moment like like I'm I'm very uh, careful with that um, telling the farmers like it's 
it's a no-brainer. You should just do it. Like the wood price will increase um, at that rate, and so you like here. Here are the numbers. Um, that's your profit profitability. Um, so that's that's also something. Um, like for the plantations, it might work already. Like if you have a contract with a heat and power station, for example, and I think like many municipalities and also industry, they will now convert away back from um, natural gas and um, yeah other fossil fuels and try to, to get something else to burn. Like everybody is looking at hydrogen, but it will not be available really quickly and it will be quite expensive. I assume. So, um, like, woody biomass might be attractive. So, but that the, the most attractive business model would be not an agroforestry system because that's complex. You need to have lots of farmers to convince. You have to, to involve um, some expertise to do it right. It's much easier to do it as a plantation. So maybe for the plantation, we will have business models in the future, but for the, for the, agroforestry systems where we are adding so much more of value to society, like ec ecological benefits that um, sometimes farmers feel not fairly um, like treated in that discussion because um, everybody's expecting them to just do it because like they can improve their um, profitability of the annual crops and they have some numbers. Um, but uh, we, we don't know so much um, how it is in Germany, even if the numbers um, from France are really convincing. Those farmers are businessmen. They have to um, be sure that it's working that way. And if they are taking that investment and uh, putting all the effort in it. And right at the moment, even although we were planting, I would say, probably more than half or even two thirds of um, the modern agroforestry systems in Germany throughout the past years um, in area wise, um, because with poplars, it's quite, quite easy um, compared to, to full trees and, and, and other, other trees, even though I would say like, it's not the driver at the moment. And that's the reason why we only have a very few projects. As I said before, it's animal welfare and it's some convinced farmers that say, well, I don't care so much um, about... Pioneers. <laughs> yes, the pioneers, they just know it's the right thing to do. And I have the responsibility and I have the motivation to be part of it. And um, that's really important, but we cannot scale it on that um, expectations. If we want to scale it, then it needs to be a business model. And I'm, I'm really frustrated a little bit that, um, like political decision makers are not, um, performing and making it a business model because, like, I, I mean, there is no silver bullet probably, but if there would be one in agriculture, then probably it's, um, agroforestry. So, like, why not um, rewarding um, farmers for like doing the right thing and uh, taking the risk and like making it a no-brainer for farmers just to start it? And uh, so, in, in Germany, we have uh, it's 
it's a pity. I mean, we have um, we have like uh, new legislation starting next year, um, which defines agroforestry, which is a good thing, which is really important that we have a definition for agroforestry. But then it comes along with 60 euro of additional premium payments per hectare of tree area. So if you put it on 10% of your field, then for your, for example, if you have a 10 hectare field, which you're converting to an agroforestry system, then you get six euro per hectare extra bonus. So, and like you have to adhere to some certain regulation. You, you have to use um, like certain distances and you have to, whatever, you, you have to make a plan which needs to be approved by like a, um, official um, office, whatever. So like for farmers, it's still a hustle and it's nothing like where political decision makers are, are taking down the hurdles and saying, well, we will support you with any means that it requires that it actually happens. Yeah, it's not taken fully seriously yet in a way. Yeah, but I mean that that is something where we where we also think like besides business models like um, that are that are relying on wood production. I think it will get much easier in the future. The wood price increased um, significantly throughout the past months, um, specifically also for energy wood. But um, like we need to have like business models which are um, also taking into account the climate benefits and the environmental benefits. And there's opportunities there as well with carbon credits, which are now prominent and uh, hopefully soon biodiversity credits as well, uh, which should uh, also complement that. This could be, I mean, just quickly, maybe what's your take on those? Do you see that as a, as a real opportunity to favor these kinds of systems? Yes, definitely. And like Lignobis is also working on a concept where, um, like CO2 credits are sold to companies, maybe also individuals, and with the money that is um, raised, agroforestry systems are established. So like that money will pay for the planting, it will pay for the management, and it will also pay for compensating the farmer to provide the land. But um, that will be not Lignavis itself, but it will be another purpose-owned company. And Yeah, that company is just cooperating with farmers in a way that farmers can get involved if they want to and learn and um, take some risk and also take profit from the the um, the, the growth. But um, they can also decide, well, I, I want some trees, but I have no time at all and I have no interest in actually um, getting involved in that. So, like, you can do it um, on your own and then like the trees are also harvested, marketed by that new company. It will be called Vivo Carbon, like living carbon. And like if there are any profits left when the wood price um, is effective enough, then um, those profits will be reinvested in additional agroforestry systems. So it, uh, the idea is to get some kind of perpetual mobile like running by by doing that. Yes. And, but I think like we need this, this kind of um, startup seed investment, like with those CO2 certificates. I mean, there's a billion dollar market developing and we need to um, get some lever on it to, to channel some 
some money into the agroforestry. Um, it, it cannot, like, uh, it cannot, it cannot uh, be reality that that we think we don't need to do anything in Europe ourselves or only a little bit. And um, most of the CO2 certificates and CO2 capturing actually is done like in like some developing countries um, with reforestation or things like that. And also from the discussions we had with many companies, they're also not convinced um, of those projects. They really want to something to, to, to invest in something or to do something, get involved, what they can visit, where they can see um, what what is actually happening. So we are quite confident that that is a good idea to to um, to realize. Very interesting. You some a few quick questions about what you said. You 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 believe that the price of wood, uh, not just uh, wood, as I, I had re recently mentioned, uh, this high value wood mm -hmm. timber being produced in in southern Europe, in France, in Spain, the price is is, is shooting up. Do you see also uh, wood chip derived products such as energy, such as other types of uh, of woody materials, uh, wood material for construction? Do you see the price gonna as as going to be rising in the future? Actually, I cannot imagine a scenario where it doesn't. It, maybe a very irrational um, scenario where we where we um, where we abandon all our climate targets. Maybe then we just continue in digging up coal and using that. And of course, that's that's cheaper than um, growing wood. But if we like if, if 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 we are honest and we say well we we try to achieve probably we will not um, achieve our climate targets but at least we try then like so much hydrocarbons which are fossil based at the moment needs to be substituted directly or indirectly then i cannot imagine a scenario where on the one hand we substitute part of it with wood, which is probably easier than using hydrogen and CO2 from the air, <laughs> like hydrogen from renewable electricity and CO2 from the air, like those e-fuels, whatever, and um, like e-plastics, like, or actually you can produce anything like from carbon and, and hydrogen. So wood is mainly carbon and hydrogen. So, um, but it's already in a solid form and you can, you can, um, use it in a very multifunctional way even if it's only building materials if we if we try to do a certain percentage of our buildings which are now based on concrete on steel on glass um if we if we convert part of it to wood and consider it as a co2 sink because like the co2 is stored there for like decades so then even that alone would increase the wood value significantly, specifically also if we stop destroying rainforests, if we stop destroying natural forests, like if we, even if we continue to, to use forest as productive forest as we did before, but we, if we stop the deforestation worldwide, then I cannot imagine a scenario that wood is not getting more valuable. The demand certainly will increase. And probably the availability from the traditional sources, like from forestry, will be reduced because we um, consider like a forest being 
um, rather an object that needs to be protected, at least not being destroyed, maybe utilized in a sustainable bit, way. Less, mm -hmm. Yeah, less less um, intensive way than before. So there will be less um, wood supply in average, and probably also with those climate extremes now. Like the growth real the growth of those forests will be less at least in Germany probably in France this it will be the same that like this year will affect um, forests drastically it doesn't need to be forest fires that are completely destroying the forest but it it's like some trees that are just dying and like not not being productive. And we, we need to protect um, the forest more and maybe diversify it also and use it less intensively. So we need to find ways where we produce the wood, um, which is actually required by um, yeah, society and, and, and like providing, providing raw materials. And as as you had said, there's it makes multiple it makes sense on multiple levels to be using more trees, more biodiversity, more carbon sequestration, and all the agroforestry benefits that we know. Sensitive land, which isn't just land that's on a steep slope, which is also land in riparian areas, land that pollutes our waterways, which are vital for our ecosystems. There's such an and it's such an intense uh, um, um, area for biodiversity and ecosystem health the whole riparian area um and so you know anyways there's it's it we can we can get you know we can we can get two birds with one stone even five birds with one stone on this one um if we do it correctly i, I wanted to bring up another question and then i have a few things a few questions afterwards just finishing off about you know specifically agroforestry systems with these with these types of crops but before that one of the one of the the models that is developed, for example, by by Propagate Ventures, by Propagate, who is our partner uh, on the podcast, they are they are looking at being at 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 creating, let's say, at separating the uh, the 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 tree production on farmland from the actual farmer or the landowner. In the sense, for example, an investor or a company can come and can help the farmer. By including the trees, which we know will benefit the farmer in agroforestry systems, and then have either a profit-shared system or a rent that they pay to the farmer, and th but they are the ones that manage the trees. They plant the trees, they manage the trees, and they will also be taking care of. The, they will take care of the whole tree system and commercialization, etc. But there, it's separated from the farmer. Um, I'm not sure if I explained it in the best way possible. Apologies. After an hour and a half of uh, interviewing, things start to get a bit slower. Um, but, you know, I, I think you've understood me here. So, you know, is that something that you think is possible with short rotation and medium rotation uh, biomass trees, as we have been talking about? Yeah, it definitely is. And I think that's absolutely the way to go if you want okay. to scale it fast. Very interesting. It's, it's 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 also like the same strategy which we apply um, when like we are talking about vivo carbon that CO two um, driven agroforestry um, venture or idea and I think we it's we we cannot expect that um, that farmers are going to specialize on trees like. There will be some farmers and we should support them wherever we can. And it's actually the best thing that can happen. Also, if those farmers are um, like like talking to their colleagues and then they catch fire as well. But 
I think that's that's an idea which is not reality. Usually, like our experiences, like they, like in the agroforestry systems, for example, what we planted like on free range chicken areas, like they're happy if we come, if we plant, if we are gone after one day and the trees just grow and they do some mulching or some rototiller like two times a year at the tree lines and that's it. So, and if you want to to convince them that they need to care in a certain way um, for the trees, then they say, I just don't have the time, then I, I will not do it at all. So I think farmers are generally like open to um, improving um, productivity. They are open to improving ecological um, benefits of their land but they get allergic if it's too complex and if you're expecting too much of them. And um, so maybe their interest, maybe not allergic in terms of agroforestry, but if, if at the, they feel at the end, they should invest, they should be the expert, they should take care for everything. And then it's unclear if it's at the end, like viable in somehow. So, and th then like they, they will just stop the discussion. I mean, we have to either, as you um, mentioned it, we have to have specialized companies um, that grow fruits, berries, whatever, on those agroforestry systems and market them, to making sure it's the right variety that the market demands, um, it's, it's managed in the right way, then the quality is done. You, you need to have some scale if you're not directly marketing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about all the small farmers that have direct marketing and have a wide range of diversity. It's perfect for them, but it's, it's not many. I mean, we have a labor problem in agriculture in general, and we are talking in Germany about 17.5 hectare of farmland, million hectare of farmland, and 17.5 million hectares of farmland. And we should have the ambition to have trees um, on a wide range of on, on a, maybe on 50% of that farmland in 10 or 20 years. So we will not achieve that if we expect farmers to take the risk and farmers to do the operation. It's very important that we involve specialized companies. I think that's, in, that's everywhere else in, in other um, areas of um, businesses, it's the same. Like it's, it's, it's not so much um, the user of um, an instrument or the technique that is developing the instrument themselves. So it's rather specialized companies that also are operating those instruments and using them more efficiently. For example, if you have like need to dig a trench or something, then you ask somebody to come with an excavator. You're not trying to find a solution yourself. And I think... Same with thing with irrigation systems, which is very typical. There's an irrigation company that will come and that will install things for you. You're not going to start playing with tubes and uh, pressure regulators, etc. yourself. Well, you can. We've done it at Mazi Farm and we've suffered from it. <laughs> and we and it's best to rely on professionals. Lesson learned. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's, that's in the whole discussion. Like I, I listened also to some of your podcasts and 
it's very much about farmers that need to get motivated. It's very much about scientists. It's um, very much about uh, political decision makers. But I think um, something which is actually not really existing, there are not so many specialized companies. So probably that's the reason why it's not like there, there's, there's no business case so far. So why should there be specialized companies? Um, so, but I think that's something that really needs to be, put focus on that they are pooling, um, like services, they're pooling, um, now how they are providing jobs to motivated young people coming from university, but are in lack of practical experience. And so that will speed up the process very much. That's very, very, very interesting. And, you know, when we're looking at agroforestry, that's something that's coming up in, in my view all the time. It's, you know, what is agroforestry? You know, agroforestry is putting elements together. But these elements, we need to look at them individually and we need to, we need to understand this, the, 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 the details and the nuances of each element in order to put the elements properly together. And in practice, we need to be managing these elements very well in order to have a successful combined system. So if, if we're looking at, for example, you know, uh, um, an, another system, let's talk about um, a, I mentioned earlier on a walnut agroforestry system. Well, we need to be specialized in walnuts. We need to have, you know, make all the right decisions around walnuts, have the right varieties, manage the walnut properly, prune the walnut properly. We need to be applying the proper phytosanitary products on the walnut to manage it, you know, fertilize it correctly, irrigate it correctly. Because, you know, that's and that can be integrated in an agroforestry field. But you cannot just forget about all of the agronomy of the walnut and and put it into an agroforest system and expect it to work. So that's the that's the complexity there, which regardless, we're talking about biomass tree crops now, um, fast growing tree crops, you know, and they may be of less let's say, of less management intensity than a walnut, but still we need to be treating this, as you had said, there's many details, many nuances, the right variety, how to be planting it, on what, how to protect it from different pressures. So anyways, all of this needs to be done very, very well. And then there's the whole other side. Half of agriculture is going to be the how it's going to be sold, marketed, commercialized, etc. And so you know, this needs to be very professionally managed in order to be successful. And an individual farmer may not have the capacity, nor the time, nor the interest in doing that. So that, that's something that's coming up a lot. But I wanted to, I wanted to close a bit this 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 parenthesis just to be able, because we're, we're we're getting on quite a lot of time now, and before our brains completely fry, um, I had one or two more questions for you about um, agroforestry. And one of them is I see a lot of potential in having a riparian buffer um actually wait i'm gonna i'm gonna just take uh, this question again i'm gonna ask this question that's gonna be my second question um this question so one of the things that i wanted to uh, talk about as well is is diversification and i just wanted us to have a bit because this is going to come up a lot for people that want to for example plant an agroforest system that is more focused on diversity but that stills pay for itself or can generate profit uh, ideally so how can we work with with fast growing timber or fast growing biomass crops um in in a diversified context i'll just give you one example uh, in france there they've uh, there's a, a beautiful book actually on hedges and uh, an association called Agrof, Um and they have 
looked at developing uh, the economics the economics of a hedge that is planted with native species, diversified speech species, and that is coppiced on a nine to ten year cycle. Obviously, the bio, the biomass production will be much lower than if we had a, than the systems we're talking about now. But they've opted for that option because they want to have a diversified hedge whilst providing so providing benefits, especially for biodiversity, um, but whilst also generating wood chips that they then advise to, of course, selling directly. So uh, selling directly to, uh, for example, gardening centers or to different people in, in urban areas that need wood chips for, because that's the way to be able to pay for this kind of system. But that's just that may be an extreme of what I'm talking about. And I just wanted to get your opinion on on the idea of diversifying. You know, we we talked about uh, diversifying varieties together, but also maybe diversifying species. Maybe you could tell us about about mm-hmm. how that would work. I think it's very very difficult to do that in a um, in a way that you base it on the business model if you don't have a sponsor for it. That's clearly projects where you need a sponsor um, that are interested that this happens. And I think like those kind of sponsors, they are also available, like for at least for individual projects now at the beginning and maybe in the future, we have government funding for that kind of more complex um, projects. But I would be really careful to expect that they will pay for themselves, even if you wouldn't factor in that you have lost some land um, and you need to be aware that at least in Germany that's the case if it's not productive and it's there for some years, then you might lose the status of being cropland. So then it's an environmental element which you cannot take away anymore in the future. So you lose the value of the cropland for that certain area. And if you are aware of that and if you're happy to take that um, disadvantage and if you say, well, that's my responsibility, like as a farmer, giving back to nature, then it's just fine. But for me, that's something which is not fair because it's actually punishing those people wanting to do good and rewarding those that are not doing and being more productive and more profitable like um, and, and maybe can grow faster and buy more land which um, is not available and for for those other farmers that um, are doing it a more sustainable way so i think that is really something where we need to have um, the society involved um, first through sponsorships and second through um, like government funding like there's so much money in the eu basket for agricultural funding I think that should be partly directed and specifically that way. And we also already have it, to be honest, like in Germany, like if you plant a hedge, then you get some subsidies for that. So which which is okay. I think it's not really attractive. Also, what we what we did in the past, um, actually, we realized two projects. One was on the farm um, that sold the um sold it as a substitution measure for somebody who planted or who, who built a factory or something, or it was just an industrial um, building or, or something. So, and, and they need to compensate for that by doing something ecological and like that, like benefits from that hedgerow, which we've planted is what was a kilometer long um, hedgerow more or less that that was sold to 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 those um, projects 
So that that might be an option, but it's actually not agroforestry. We are talking about something else there. If we talk about a mixture of diversity and productive agroforestry, I think that is really difficult to, to achieve. It's maybe too much expectation in the beginning. Um, and I think the problem is if there's too many promises from experts towards farmers and those promises are not fulfilled, then it could harm um, the, the agroforestry movement in general because that, that happens really fast that farmers are um, mm. talking about um, unsuccessful um, trials and, and tests and, and projects and the neighbors will not touch it anymore. So we had that with, for Very example, already with, with um, short rotation plantations, if it was just planted and not managed. Um, many years ago, we had other companies doing that, um, also energy companies. It was not Wattenfall, it was another one with, with other service providers. And like, yeah, they, they, it was not existing after a certain period. They just stopped it. And then those farmers, they, they felt left alone and they didn't know what to do with it. And so it, it's really difficult. And of course, they're talking about it because it's a problem for them. And I think we really need to, avoid that in the field of agroforestry. You have to be very open and start easy, start um, with um, with lots of um, like support systems um, for the farmers and not put too much burden on the farmer themselves. It's very interesting. So in a system where you would be like, okay, I'm going to put willow, poplar, miscanthus, three lines alternating for on in a short rotation system to produce biomass and have a mixed uh, a mixed species you would you would rule that out it's as, as being unmanageable and unpractical and therefore not be economically viable and be planted for other reasons than economic viability yes i i think like it's it's possible what we also do like in or in, in the past when we had more willow also in our general um, yeah, standard plantations and we planted like a block of willow for let's say 30 meters and then 50 meters poplar and then like that was two variety, different varieties than willow again and then um, then poplar so it maybe yeah that 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 would be some some diversity like for the short rotation plantations, what we usually always do, we either mix the poplar varieties even within the row in the medium rotation um, project. Like this gives different colors, different tree shapes, um, like to um, to those um, agroforestry tree alleys. Like it's looking a little bit more diverse. It's not as uniform if it's that would be only one variety. And I would be so happy if we would have more trees available that would grow with a similar speed of the poplar, but it's just not existing. Yeah, it's um, everything else is maybe 50% of the growth rate is at max, probably lower and co combined with much higher establishing costs, not only um, the planting is a little bit more complex um, as it's rooted, 
um, we can plant also rooted um, plants with our planting equipment where we plant those rods 60 centimeters deep. That's no problem. <clears throat> That's also what we are offering to farmers <laughs> when they ask us, or oh, can we do it more diverse things? And we, you organize whatever trees you want to plant, we plant them for you, but you have to make sure that you have to irrigate them when it's really getting dry. You have to do the weed control even more intensively and you have to do it not only in the first year, but for several years until those trees are strong enough to to um, to to take care for themselves. So, also, like with mice, um, it's a problem. Like we, like usually you have those like wire baskets around the roots um, very often. Like we have lots of mice now in the fields because it's so dry. Usually with poplars we don't have that problem. Um, yeah, it's 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 complexity that needs to be taken into account. And if it's not possible for those fast-growing poplars to make a business model on that um, in agroforestry system, or if it's just starting now, and if you are willing to take some risk, and if you if you put a bet actually on a rising wood price, then um, yeah, how can it be profitable for something else that has a life cycle of maybe 30 or even 60 years? I mean, that's that's not the kind of business models farmers want to think of. And I think nobody else is actually doing that. That's a generation thing. And in I, I don't know of any modern business that is thinking in those cycles. Like, usually it's even shorter like than... Than short rotation like or medium rotation um, business models I think we the, to, to, to be even more clear I think what we need is actually business models that are through after 10 years actually if you can offer that to farmers then that would be um, a huge benefit and in, in terms of scalability because we have so much leased land like it's not owned by the farmers themselves like maybe it's a 100 hectare plot but the farmer only owns like 20 30 50 percent of it and it's not one block of it half of it but it's just mixed all over so if you plant a tree line or several tree lines through that 100 hectare block then you always always are um getting in um in in leased land so um but lease contracts are usually something like 10 years maximum, sometimes shorter even, but I think 10 years is something that is somehow realistic to achieve. And if we have, for example, that kind of medium rotation, and if the business model is good enough that planting, management, harvesting, and recultivation is just um, like covered by the by the profits of the wood sale, then we are we are much further in what we actually can offer to farmers because of course most likely those trees they can regrow again because the farmer is extending the lease contract. But just in case he wants to um, get his money back. And very interesting. And that's that's really something I, I don't know how it is in, in other countries, but I think it's about the same and for the moment we can scale fast enough i mean it's um it's it's not that we could plant um 
10,000 hectare of tree area, but we could plant like 1,000 hectare of tree area like next year if there would be enough um, clients and enough projects um, asking for us to, to provide our services and that converts in like 10,000 hectares of agroforestry. But we couldn't do 100,000 hectares at the moment and we are talking about 17.5 million hectares alone in Germany and I think we need to start um, discussing the scale and we need to, to discuss how we can um, provide um, sufficient services, how we can provide sufficient planting materials and um, the whole industry behind. And um, that, that, is, that is something that is really, really important across Europe. That's fascinating, and it brings in the topic of of um, of specialized companies, as you said, yes. the need for specialized companies, but also the need for government incentives, the need for education in the agricultural space. All of this together in order for it to to to, to, to scale. But yes. it's very very interesting. Yeah, and we are um, running out of time. That, that's that's the problem. I mean, like everybody you talk to, that is in the climate. Um, uh, research or or like is, is, is expert in, in that field like will say well we, we, we cannot wait for the the golden rim solution like <laughs> I don't know how that's how that's called in English like we cannot wait to have it perfect we just need to start we need to start planting trees now and we need to take them that are available and can be scaled fast we at the current rate of emissions we have seven years left and then it's done then we need to draw down carbon from the atmosphere and we have the solutions right not only to capture that carbon but also like um the keeping the civilization running like covering all the needs we have and if we don't have those hydrocarbons available anymore it will not all be hydrogen that's that's taking too long um, to develop and probably is also much less efficient and also hydrogen hydrogen is not uh, produced in building materials so and what probably the the problem is it's too easy actually people thinking well if it is that easy just planting trees on agricultural land where no trees are at the moment like it's and making it more productive and so that's that's too easy, and you cannot put a patent on it. <laughs> I don't know, and you cannot monopolize it. Um, that it's hard to make a business case on it, where which, which is not um, taken over also by newcomers. It's so easy. I mean, it's planting trees. We are aware of that as Lignovis as well. Like it's um, once um, the wheel is rolling, then there will be many more companies like trying to take profit from it as well, and yeah. But but it just needs to be done. It, it's um, it's the private sector that also needs to get involved, and of course, also farmers have a responsibility at least to 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 put their share to the to the big picture. But um, the expectation shouldn't be too high. I think like we 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 as experts in that field, we should. Um, be creative and and put uh, solutions on the table how to involve um, all the other parts of our society to to get that done and and make it attractive i think like everybody actually wants to plant trees and it's a it's a important um, 
task to 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 demonstrate it and and make people feel comfortable of um, of sponsor maybe multi diverse agroforestry systems or or also agroforestry systems that are just maximize carbon capture things like that and uh, talk about it to their um, friends and so on and and get the ball rolling and then I think political decision makers um, will jump on it as well. At the moment, they ask farmer associations and maybe the farming industry and they say, well, it's too complicated. I don't know where to start. We don't know how to make a business model out of it. Um, that's nothing um, we we um, want to do, actually. So the, the energy needs to come from somewhere else and um, we as experts um, probably can yeah um create that very very interesting it's a high responsibility and <laughs> and uh, but there's definitely um this is also part of the reasons why we're doing the podcast it's an investigation to understand um you know what works where what's practical what is you know what inspires farmers what creates actual um, um or leads to actual planting of trees on the landscape what makes these plantations successful or not so anyways, we're on a bigger adventure here as well to try and w work out all these uh, big questions. But um, I think this is a, a beautiful place to finish the, pot the, the podcast interview. Um, and definitely, at least I can talk for myself and I'm sure for most of our listeners, we learned a lot uh, from, from, from this conversation. So, yeah. so please um, feel free to... Um, get in contact with us if you have more specific questions to realizing agroforestry systems we also have a web shop um like where it's small amounts of um, planting material that can be bought in boxes which will just then be sent by mail and then we give some advice how to 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 plant um those um projects whatever it is and um, yeah, for bigger projects, um, we also have um, specific machinery available to to be realized. If there's some someone listening that that catched fire and uh, wants to wants to start next year, we have still capacities left. Fantastic! We're definitely going to put in the link below the episode all of the information of your work. Uh, everything will be present for all the listeners that want to, to check out website, social media, etc. It's all going to be there. Very easy to, to, to click on and, uh, and to find out more. So, um, yes, I think that's, uh, that's it for us. And uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And uh, see you next time. Yes. Thank you very much, Dimitri. It was a pleasure talking to you and... Congratulations for your great podcast. It's really very important for like networking throughout, um, yeah, the whole agroforestry sector. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. We're waiting for you there and see you next time.